many of you can tell me the longest-running TV game show? Anybody? Jeopardy, Family Feud, Wheel of Fortune. Let's make a deal. Who's the winner? Who said that? There you go. All of you who knew that, you watch too much TV. No, I'm kidding. Um, it's been running for 48 years. Let's make a deal. It's been on TV for 48 years. It started with Monty Hall on NBC, and now it's on CBS with Wayne Brady, if you know who Wayne Brady is. And uh, you probably know the premise to, you know, trade me? Let's make a deal. Let's make a deal, Ian. I'll trade you. Thank you. And that's the kind of the premise, I don't know if this one's better, of the, of the whole show is you have something of value, and the host offers you something else, right? They may give you $250, and you have a decision to make. You can keep the $250 and run, or you can trade it for what's behind door number one or two or three or what's behind this curtain. And what the person is hoping is when they trade that, something of value for something else, that they'll get something better, that they'll hear the announcer say, you've just won a new car or a trip to Vegas or whatever they are hoping for, right? That's the whole premise of the show. That what you have, you give up in hopes to get something better. Now, I want you to kind of hold that thought for just a moment. We are in the final of four weeks of our series of Love That Lasts. And, and in this series so far, we've talked about three things. We've talked about how we need to be all there. We've talked about um, acting intentionally. We've talked about risking awkwardness. And today, what we're going to talk about is not something you need to do in your relationship, but maybe something you need to stop doing. We're going to uh, provide addition by doing some subtraction this morning because sometimes what we stop doing in a relationship is what can make a big difference in those relationships. To illustrate this point, um, I share with you part of the story of Moses. And I invite you to follow along this morning. If you grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible, Genesis, then Exodus, we read about the story of Moses and, and we, we read a lot about him there. And uh, chances are you've heard of Moses before, the Moses who, who parted the Red Sea, who led the people out of Egypt, who struck the rock and the water came forth, um, and all these things that, that Moses did. And, and today we're going to look at, at some things that happened to him. And what I want you to, to realize is that Moses was, at this point in his life where we're going to kind of pick up the story, he was a nobody. He was nowhere. He was out in the middle of nowhere. He was tending sheep. And he'd been doing it for about 40 years, and, and he had, he'd been the prince of Egypt, you know, as kind of the picture shows there. He, he had it good at one point, but then he had this fall, and he killed a guy and ran, and, and all this stuff that happened. And he's been out in the wilderness tending sheep, um, and you see what happens to him. He, he's watching the sheep, and all of a sudden he comes along, and there's a bush that's on fire. The bush is burning, but it's not being consumed, and so he's drawn to it, and, and something amazing is happening. And, and God tells him in chapter 3, verse 10, he says this. God says to Moses, So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses is the one that God's going to use to bring his people up out of slavery. And for Moses, this was a supernatural experience. This didn't happen every day. However... He wanted nothing to do with God's plan. You ever been there? God kind of lays out for you and it makes it kind of obvious what you're supposed to do. And you're like, I'm not so sure, God. And, and we, we try to do things our own way. And Moses is kind of like, you know what? No, I, don't, I don't think so. And Moses starts to make excuses. And he makes some, you know, pretty poor excuses like we do as well. And, and, and God says, you know what? 
I've got the guy I want. And Moses is like, no, you've got the wrong guy. And in the midst of all these excuses, God says to Moses in Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. And a shepherd's staff would have looked similar to this. Now, probably not exactly like this, but uh, it would have looked similar to this, okay? And here's what it says. The Lord says, said, throw it on the ground. The Lord told Moses, throw it on the ground. Now, to you and me, that's not a big deal, right? Just your staff, throw it down on the ground. But what we have to understand is that to a shepherd, this was an important piece of who they were. All right? With this staff, the, the shepherd would do many things. This is how the, the shepherd would keep the sheep in line. All right? You could guide the sheep with it. You could prod the sheep with it. You could keep the herd under control. You could ward off predators and keep the sheep safe. You could, and the reason it has a, a crook is, is you could help the sheep over things. You could, you could help them like over, keep their head up if they're swimming across water. You could help them get their feet over rocks if they were hung up or something. It was a very useful tool. Um, the shepherd's staff was an identity thing for a, for a shepherd. You, you could no more be a shepherd without a staff than you could be, say, a, a surgeon without a scalpel. You just couldn't do it. And, and while being a shepherd wasn't like a lofty goal or ambition or career and wasn't thought real highly of, it was all Moses had at this point. He was a shepherd. He had his staff, and, and that's what he did. And, and God says to Moses, let it go. Throw it down. Release it from your hand. God knew that for Moses to become all that God intended for Moses to become, he had to take that which was in his hand, and he had to be willing to throw it down. And I want to suggest that if we're going to have the type of love that's going to last in all of our relationships, in our relationship with our, with our spouse or, or whoever, then we have to ask ourselves, what is it that's in our hand that God is saying to us, you need to let go? What is it that we use to take control and God says, what you need to do is you just need to, you need to let it go. I want you to think about what's in your hand today. What is it that you're holding on to? How many things do we hold on to in an attempt to control the people in our life? Uh, to have things go the way we want them to go, to have our needs met. Uh, we hold on to lots of things. We hold on to pride. Maybe we hold on to hurt or, or to anger. Sometimes we hold on to jealousy or to guilt. We hold on to self-centeredness. We hold on to mistrust. Uh, there's lots of things that we hold on to. And what happens is that when we hold on to those things in our relationships, in all of our relationships, with our spouse, with our kids, with our family, with our friends, when we do that, when we hold on to those things, what we're trying to do is to control the other person. We're trying to control the people that we love instead of giving control over to God. How many of you have seen the movie Bruce Almighty, if you want to admit such things? You don't, you don't have to raise your hand. Um, Bruce Almighty, if you remember, uh, Bruce is not happy with the way God is running things. And so he says to God, you know what, I, I should be in charge. If I were in charge, things would be different. Things would be better. And so God, who is played excellently by Morgan Freeman, appears, shows up to Bruce and says, okay. And he gives him control over everything except, anyone remember? Free will. Control over everything except someone's free will. And maybe you remember this scene between Bruce and his girlfriend, Grace. 
Now, I doubt any of us ever try to control people, you know, like that. Maybe you do, and if so, we need to talk after. I'll meet you in my office. But we, we do other things to try to control people, don't we? We use such things as, as criticizing or guilt or angry outbursts or maybe even the silent treatment. We argue. We complain. We pout. We withdraw. We're either aggressive or we're passive-aggressive. The reality is that we all have different ways in which we try to control relationships and how we try to control situations. Now, I want to point out that the reality is, at least for me, I don't think we really want to control the other person. What we're really trying to do is to have our needs met. That's what we really want. We want our needs to be met. And and so we do different things to try to control the person in order to get our needs met. And it's really not healthy, because what we really start doing is resorting to all these unhealthy methods, like I mentioned, to try to get our needs met. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to have your needs met. That's, that's part of, of why we're in relationship, to, to give and to take. But whenever we resort to controlling the situation or trying to control the other person, it's just, it's just not a good way to go about it. Control is something that we have to let go of. Which is why I want to ask you again, what is it that's in your hand? What is it that you're holding on to? What do you need to let go of that's hindering the growth and the development of your most important relationships, those in your life? Sometimes it can be really subtle, the ways we try to control. It could be as subtle as rolling your eyes. Parents, do you have any children that roll their eyes at you? Or a spouse or a friend? You know what rolling your eyes communicates? You're an idiot. You have no idea what you're talking about. We just kind of, yeah, right? Uh, I've seen that done. Not going to say by who. Um, I I have asked my family, you know, as I was preparing for this, I asked my family, what is it that I do? Because I'm sure I don't do anything like that that would, you know. And they told me, you know, here's the secret. So if you ever see me doing this, you know I'm just kind of in my little zone. I get quiet. I blank out. And I just kind of keep my lips tight. And that's my way. And I don't mean to try to control, but that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to take over the situation by just being firm. Right? How do you do that? How do you try to control the situation? What is it that you do? The point is that we all do things to try to control our relationships. But it doesn't work, does it? I mean, honestly... Does it work? No, it it doesn't. As hard as we try, in fact, oftentimes it just makes things worse. Things go from not so good to not so good worse, and and it's just not a good thing. Wives, you trying to control your husband at all? Trying to to get him to do things or, or to be certain ways? Husbands, are you trying to control your wife? Are you really trying to do that? Are you trying to make them different? Trying to finally mold them into who they really should be? Parents, are you trying to control your children? Do we put, put stuff on them? Do we say, you know what, you must get good, get good grades. You have to go to these classes. You must participate in these events. You have to apply to this college. You have to score this score on your SAT. You have to get this kind of job. You have to have this number of figures in your income. You know, we do it with our friends. We try to control them in order to have our own needs met. We, we struggle so badly, and, and hear, us on, hear me on this, at times we need to start thinking about the things that we need to stop doing 
And sometimes it's just about what we need to not do anymore. But, but the hard part is this. If that other person, whoever it is, would just do the things we would want them to do, things would be better. They would be better off, wouldn't they? I mean, we want it for us, but we really want it for them. If they would just listen to me because I can see things that they can't see. And if they would just hear me, the voice of wisdom, then their lives would be better. I see that a lot in child and adult children and parents' relationships. Uh, specify the word adult children. Children that are kind of doing their own thing now, they're out of the house, and they do something that the parents disagree with, and the parents are like, wait a minute. That's different than what we would have you to do. And they try to control the situation, when in reality what they really need to do is just lovingly let their adult child make those decisions, even if they fail, even if it brings them a little bit of hurt. you got to let them do those things. I also see this in marriage. There's a friend of our family who's going through a really, really rough time in his, in his marriage relationship right now. He, he's trying to do everything he can to make things better. And he finally, this past week, when we talked, he said, you know what? I think I just have to let her go. And he's finally learned that only God can change the situation. Only God can soften her heart because she's told him, I want nothing to do with you. And he knows that it's beyond his control and he needs to just let her go. Here's what I want you to see. There's, there's a benefit to letting go of those unhealthy things that we do to try to control other people. And in doing so, we begin to have more of a sense of control in our relationships when we give up control. Back to Moses, all right? We can jump back into that story again. Despite his circumstances, uh, Moses had every reason to believe that he was destined for something great. In fact, his name, Moses, means deliverer. But for that to become a reality in his life, he had to let go of that which he felt like he had control over, his staff. He had to throw down that staff and all the things that it represented. He had to let it all go. And if we continue to read in the, in the book of Exodus chapter 4, look at what happens. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. That's not happening up here this morning, just so you know. He threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it, as would I, and I'm guessing you would as well. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. Again, not something you would do normally if you've ever caught a snake, if you've ever watched someone catch a snake, you'd always catch it by the head, right behind the head, not in, okay, behind the head. And, and so, but Moses does that. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. And one of the interesting things, uh, if you read the, the whole account, is from this point forward, it's no longer Moses' staff. At that point, it's referred to as the staff in your hand or God's staff. He let go of control and things changed. It changed for Moses. And he went on to lead the people of Israel out of slavery and out toward the promised land. Moses was used for some great things. So, so think about this with me for a minute. Who is the person in your life or the people in your life that you are most tempted to try to control? If it's your husband, ladies, can I tell you this? That's not just your husband. That's God's man. If it's your wife, guys, can I tell you something? She's not just your wife. She's God's woman. Your children, as much as you want to control and push them in the right direction and try to make sure everything is good for them, they're not just your children. They're God's children. 
don't misunderstand. We need our children. They need us. They need us to discipline them. They need us to be their parents. They don't need us to be their best friends. They need us to be who God intended for us to be in their life. And we need to understand that even if they go about their life and and after they leave the house, if they start to make choices that we disagree with, we just have to let them go. We have to be okay with that. We, We have to be okay if they never become the best athlete. We have to be okay if they don't get that scholarship, if they don't get into that particular school or that particular college. We have to be okay if they don't do the things that we think that they should do and that we think they should accomplish. Because at the end of the day, they're not just your kids. They're God's kids. We've got to be willing to turn them over to God and let God be their God. We need to trust God with control. And to do that, we have to let it go. There's a couple things specifically that I think uh, we, should, we need to let go of, and I just want to bring them to your attention this morning. I invite you to write these down in your bulletin. The first one is this. We need to let go of unrealistic expectations. And this is not unique to me. You've probably heard this before, but we all need to hear this again. We need to let go of these, unique, these unrealistic expectations. Um, we, we have a lot of those made-up expectations that, that uh, affect our relationships with the people that we love. Um, when you were single, or if you are single, Did you have a list of what the person you're looking for needed to have? A list of qualities or characteristics? I know in college, guys had these lists all the time. I heard a story about one guy who had a really lengthy list. You know, things like how tall, hair color, sports interests, whether or not they could cook or not. You know, all these different things. And and he was getting very frustrated because of all the women that he ever met, none of them were living up to his list. And he was getting frustrated until finally a friend said to him, hey, hey, dude, I'm sorry. Sorry you can't find someone that matches your list. But can I tell you something? If you ever do find someone who matches everything on your list, you won't be on hers. We have these unrealistic expectations that we put on other people a lot. And, And even if we don't have this written down list, we all have a list, don't we? I mean, think about it. You have a list of expectations with the people that you're in relationship with. Uh, When Michelle and I were first married, I I didn't have a written down list, but I had a list. So did she. It's part of what we do. We we make these expectations, even if they're non-verbalized expectations. So, So what do we do with them? I like the way J. Grant Howard put it. He said, we have the picture of a perfect partner, but then we marry an imperfect person, and we have two options. We can either tear up the picture and accept the person, or tear up the person and accept the picture. And I think uh, that that's true in all of us. For all of us, in, in one form or another, in our relationship with our spouse, we have to come to a point where we have to say, you know what, it's not just my marriage, this is God's relationship. He needs to be in charge, he needs to be in control, and I need to let it go. I, I grew up in a, uh, in a small farming town in Missouri, And uh, that had a lot of benefits for me and and a lot of privileges for me uh, that I didn't know that I truly appreciated until I moved away. One of the things that allowed me to do was to be a big fish in a little pond, if you know what I mean. Um, I could excel at things and participate in almost everything. And one of the things that I loved to do was play sports. I played basketball, played baseball, ran track. My love was baseball. My love is still baseball. I would play catch with anybody, anytime. Always had my glove with me, always had a ball with me. When no one was around, I would take my ball and glove and I'd throw it off the barn door, all right, and it would bounce kind of back to me. I would throw it up off the barn roof 
and then run up and then where it came off, dive and catch it. I would throw pop flies to my, I would do all that stuff. I love baseball. I still love baseball. I, I love the fact that the Royals have taken two out of three from the Yankees so far. I had to get that in and maybe the only time that happens all year. So, but I, I love baseball. Um, when Michelle and I were married, uh, Josh was seven. And he played baseball. And so I made it my ambition to help Josh be the absolute best baseball player on the team. Slight problem. Josh wasn't any good at baseball. In fact, he didn't even really like baseball. He played baseball because he knew I liked baseball. And I had a choice to make at that point. What do I do with that? Because I had these expectations that he was going to be a really good baseball player and that he was going to love it, that he would want to play catch all the time. But those were my expectations. Those were the things I wanted. God didn't give Josh the ability to play sports in general, and he may be a little upset with me if he ever hears me say that, but here's where God did gift him. God gifted him musically. He gave him the ability to play almost any musical instrument, the piano, the guitar, the violin, just you name it. He, he can pretty much play it or give him a week or two and he'll figure it out. And because he gave him that gift and because Josh uses that gift, he's now leading worship at a, at a, at a, at a student ministry in Indiana. He's using those gifts. But you know what it took for me? And I never put it in these terms, okay? It wasn't like I knew this back then. But it took me saying, my expectations are my expectations, not what God wanted for him. And I had to let that go. And that was hard on me. It wasn't hard on him. Because he was finally released to do what God had had for him to do. We have to be willing to let go of those unrealistic expectations. So what are your expectations? What are the things that you hope will happen that maybe God doesn't have planned? What expectations do you need to let go of? What's in your hands? We've got to let go of those. The second thing that I want to suggest we need to let go of is resentment and bitterness. Resentment and bitterness. There are things that should have never been said. There are things that can never be undone. I get that. I understand that. I've experienced that. There are things that have happened to us or happened to our siblings growing up. There are things that happened to people we loved. There are things that have happened to our children that were beyond our control. And when those things happen, what do we do? A lot of times we just, we hold on to those and bitterness and resentment build up inside of us and we get angry and we allow those things to have control. And even though they may have happened long in the past, they have control over our lives right now, right here in the present. Lewis Smead put it this way in his book, The Art of Forgiving. He said, vengeance has a videotape, is a videotape planted in your soul that cannot be turned off. It plays the painful scene over and over again inside your mind. It hooks you into its instant replays, and each time it replays, you feel the clap of pain again. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. In my experiences, usually anger is not the problem. It's undealt with anger that's the problem. The scripture tells us that, that we are to not go to bed angry, basically. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. And why is that so important? Because whenever you hold on to anger and you let it fester and let it go, it turns into that resentment and bitterness. But if we choose to forgive, if we choose to let that go, 
Lewis Smead continues, and he says, Forgiving turns off the videotape of pained memory. Forgiving sets you free. Forgiving is the only way to stop the cycle of unfair pain turning in your memory. I want to encourage you, don't let the things from your past control your relationships today and in the future. Don't let the bitterness and resentment that is there in your heart because you haven't dealt with that anger, you need to let go of that. If a friend has treated you wrong, you've got to let it go. If a co-worker has taken advantage of you, you've got to let it go. If someone said something that, that hurts your feelings, you've got to let that go. We need to extend forgiveness. That's what we are taught to do. For those of you who call yourselves a, a Christian, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, Luke records for us that Jesus said these words, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus demonstrating for us how we are to act what we are to do, how we are to let go of those things and not hold those things against other people. And if we want to have a relationship with last, that lasts, we need to, to let go and, and actively and intentionally and purposefully and on a regular basis extend forgiveness. And I get it. That is much easier for me to stand up here and say than for us to go out and do. But I think God is saying to us today, let's make a deal. You're holding on, right? We are holding on to that resentment and that anger and that bitterness. And we are, we're trying our best to keep a hold of that so that we can have control, so that we don't let the other person take advantage of us, so that we can feel like there's something that we can hold on to. And God is saying, what is it that you're holding on to in your hand? And he's challenging us and he's encouraging us and he's, he's almost pleading with us to let it go. If you'll let go of what's in your hand, I can offer you something better. And that's our challenge today. Are we willing to let go of whatever's in our hand to accept what God wants to give us instead? You see, the problem with a closed hand like this is nothing else can go in it. Nothing can come out and nothing can go in. It's only when we open our hand that we allow ourselves to not only lose whatever it is we're holding on to, but also receive what it is that God gives to us. And until we're willing to open up and say, okay, God, here I am. Okay, God, I'm giving control to you. I'm no longer holding on. Until we do that, we're just going to keep gripping something that really is going to lead us nowhere. And it's only going to hurt us. So where are you today, and what are you holding on to? I want to challenge you to, to let go of whatever it is and to open up to what Jesus Christ wants to do in your life. He wants to be your Lord, and he wants to be your Savior. And he wants to lead you in a new direction, to take you from just tending sheep to doing great things for him, to take you out of wherever you are relationally, and to give you a love that lasts, that's going to be more amazing than you could ever experience if you just try to hold on to whatever it is in your hand. Would you turn it over to him? We're going we're gonna to end this series a little bit in a different way this morning. I'm going to give you a time to just be silent before the Lord and to think about that which is in your hand and to think about those relationships that you need to let go. And, and Jim's going to put a, 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 a prayer on the screen. And this is no, you know, not any magical prayer, but maybe this is a prayer that, that you need to pray, that you're giving control of yourself over to God and whoever it is you're trying to control, you'll give them over to God as well. So I'm going to stop talking. We're going to give you a moment. The Ian and the band are going to come. Uh, then I'll pray, and they're going to lead us in an invitation song. Let's pray.